In today's episode, we discuss effective listening, a topic rarely trained upon, generally misunderstood, but likely one of the most important skill sets in a leader's toolbox. Here are a few clips from today's interview with retired Major Eric McGreevy on effective listening. Communication is a model. We must never forget that it's a cyclical model. We never really take the time to talk about our ears and how to effectively listen. It's the people that work for you. They, you know, that's your most important asset. So that's why I think it's so important to be listening to them and understanding them. Welcome to the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast, where we interview leaders, innovators, and influencers on the law, leadership, and best practices of the day. And now to your host from the Air Force Judge Advocate General School. Welcome to another episode from the Air Force Judge Advocate General School. I'm your host, Major Rick Hannerhan. Remember, if you like the show, please consider subscribing on iTunes and leaving a review. This helps us to grow an outreach to the JAG Corps and beyond. Well, I am super excited today to have in studio retired Major Eric McGreevy to talk on effective listening, a fascinating topic. It's a pleasure to have you in studio today, Major McGreevy. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Major Eric McGreevy, U.S. Air Force retired, is currently an innovative education technologist at the Air Force Squadron Officer School, where he's responsible for enhancing innovation and leadership at the school and also assist in their mixed reality leadership scenarios. Major McGreevy enlisted in the Air Force as a vehicle operator dispatcher in 1989 and spent his first five years at Grand Forks Air Force Base, North Dakota. For the next six years, he was an instructor for his career field technical training course at Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, and moved with the school when it was relocated to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri in 1996. He was commissioned as a logistics readiness officer in 2000 and has held several flight commander positions, including Pope Air Force Base, North Carolina, and Rheinmann Air Base, Germany, where he was in charge of ground and air transportation specialists. Major McGreevy spent his last five years in active duty as a flight commander and operations officer for the Air and Space Basic Course. He has also deployed twice in support of Operation Enduring Freedom, first to Bahrain Air Base, then to Afghanistan for a year as an embedded training team member responsible for mentoring the Afghan National Army's Vehicle Maintenance Program. Major McGreevy earned his master's degree in management with a concentration in leadership from the American Military University. He is a certified professional military education, or PME, master instructor with 20 years of teaching experience. He is married to the former Laura Hansen and has two children, Eric and Havely. I first met Major McGreevy through the Air Force JAG School, where he acts as a local ambassador for the Military Officer Association of America, otherwise known as MOA. He often attends our Judge Advocate Staff Officer course graduations on behalf of MOA and awards top performing students for their academic achievements. So Major McGreevy, maybe you could uh, provide for listeners a little more background on your current position as the Innovative Education Technologist at Squadron Officer School. Thank you. Yes, it's a position where I get to help bring innovation to the classroom in various different ways as I've got a background in ISD, instructional system design, basically writing curriculum. But now we're trying to write curriculum with innovation and technology in mind. So one of the fascinating things that I get to help out with is this new MRLX that we have at Squadron Officer School, which is a mixed, uh, the MRLX stands for Mixed Reality Leadership Experience. 
So basically, we work with a, a contractor company out of Orlando where they have some really high-speed, good actors uh, working behind the screen of a of avatars, basically. And I'm not sure if they're using ping pong balls or screen caption motion kind of thing on their end, but the, the avatars are very lifelike. You can see them moving around. You can you, you can actually see tears in their eyes and if they actually get to a point where they're crying. Because what we do with the captains at Squadron Officer School is put them through leadership scenarios where one captain will sit in a hot seat, basically counseling someone on the other end of, on a big screen TV, we'll have the actor logged in from Orlando where they're playing, um, it might be a, a male colonel or a female colonel. Uh, it's, it's actually one actor, but they'll be playing several roles using voice modulators on their end. And that way we can, it doesn't really matter what the person looks like in the other, that's why we're using the technology. Uh, so that we can get good actors. And anyways, it's we've gotten tons of excellent reviews from the captains that they want more of it. Because uh, the way it is right now, we only have four of these scenarios built. It's a brand new technology. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we're working to get uh, one for each student because there's typically 14 in a classroom. So today's topic is listening effectively or effective listening. And you had provided to me a few weeks before this interview, the book by Dr. John A. Klein titled Listening Effectively, which I found fascinating, which we'll put in the show notes for all the listeners. Could you speak a little bit to how you got involved in teaching effective listening and also how you utilize that in your current job today? Yes, I think uh, one of my personal steps, which maybe we'll get into these later, I've got these, my own five steps is first admitting you have the problem. And the, the first time I think I ever admitted I had the problem of maybe not being the best listener is oddly to say the movie Pulp Fiction. If you've ever seen the outtakes of it back in the nineties, and I know it's not the, the most appropriate movie in the world, but uh, back in the nineties, when I, when I bought that DVD, I found in the outtakes, there's a scene where Uma Thurman is questioning John Travolta's character when they meet for the first time and she starts asking him some some questions like hey are you a Beatles man or an Elvis man and the next question is when someone is talking are you actually listening or are you thinking about what you're going to say next and that was kind of that bell ringer moment for me where I, I had to admit to myself that especially in social settings sometimes where I am doing that I, I catch myself not necessarily thinking about what I'm should be hearing but Focusing more on what I'm going to say next once it's my turn to talk. So ad admitting is the first step. So that was, I think, the very first eye-opener for me. And then uh, when I became an officer, I, I found this book by Dr. Klein, the Listening Effectively book, and I read it once. And I, and I think I started uh, applying some of the lessons learned in the book and some of the techniques he has to that he presents. But then there was a, a couple years gap where I, you know, forgot about that book until I was teaching recently at the Acre Center. I had to switch courses. I had to switch over to teaching this new course called the Emerging Leaders course. And before I could teach the course, my boss made me sit through it as a student and, and he was the instructor. And one of the, the, the big challenges he puts out to his students is actually trying to be more observant, to try to really consciously work on your listening skills and your observation skills and then come back and let's talk about it next week kind of thing. And so I did that, you know, for a solid week. I tried to pay attention to my listening and observation skills 24-7. And I noticed small little things changing and getting better throughout my life. And not just being a better friend and a better coworker and a better leader, but also a better husband and a better father, which is, you know, some of the really important stuff to us. Uh, and I've, I've been doing this for the last couple of years where I've been really making a, a conscious effort to listen effectively, especially during those interpersonal communication situations. And like I said, it's, it's had nothing but huge benefits in my life. Like I said, not just at work. 
if I could just interject for a second, what if, if you could, can you define what actually is effective listening? For me, I think it's just making a conscious effort of it. And now, in the in the book, he goes into a little bit more details of exactly, for instance, he's got five different ways you can listen, depending on the situation, which, you know, in leadership, we always talk about situational leadership. And so it's kind of the same thing with, with how you use your ears and your eyes. And, and I say eyes, too, because that's part of the whole observation. Uh, you can actually listen with your eyes if, if you know, if you've read any report on uh, nonverbal communication, I've never seen any numbers less than 50% as far as how much percentage of our communication is done non-verbally. All the numbers I've seen are usually 70%, 80%. I've even seen numbers as high as 90% of our communication is done non-verbally. I'm a little skeptical maybe of those high numbers like 90, but, but 70 or so seems to be the norm. Listening effectively for me, on top of just making a conscious effort to listen with your eyes and your ears, is to kind of realize, and, and Dr. Klein talks a little bit about this in the book, how there is a difference between listening and hearing, which reminds me of that, that funny movie, White Man Can't Jump, back again, going back to the 90s, uh, with Woody Harrelson and, and Wesley Snipes uh, talking about Jimi Hendrix, and if, if you, can, you can hear Jimi Hendrix, but you're not listening to him, or vice versa. But the, they, it makes for a funny scene in the movie where they're having an argument uh, about it. But it's kind of that same analogy in my head when we talk about listening effectively is, you know, just because you're, you're hearing the words, you know, are you really understanding the person and where they're coming from? Are you looking for those nonverbals? Great point. So I think the, the mechanics, so to speak, of hearing versus listening are, are actually quite different. Would that be a, a fair characterization? Yes. And as a follow-up, why is effective listening so important today? I think effective listening is so important today because it seems like we are getting faster and faster with technology and with the internet and with sound bites and how much we want to just listen to, you know, just or even read the titles and headlines only, for instance, with our news. Or that's almost transferring over, I think, unfortunately, into our lives. And as, as we're trying to become more you know, efficient and, you know, in, in the Air Force, you know, we're always pushing AFSO 21 and the Air Force practical problem solving model. And how can we be six sigma, you know, black belts and, and do things more efficiently uh, and, and effectively? Sometimes uh, I think the listening and observation piece sometimes gets uh, a little bit of the, the back seat or the back road when we don't take the time to fully understand each other and where each other are, where everyone's coming from. That's one of my favorite all-time quotes. I've got, I've got two quotes prepared for today from, a, from Teddy Roosevelt. And the, one of the most important quotes that I've been carrying around with me, I don't even need to look at it, but is how it goes is, people will never really care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think one of the best ways you show that you care is by actually listening to them and understanding them and, you know, not, not cutting them off and not already having your preconceived idea or way that you're going to go forward with the plan but you're actually going to at least hear where they're coming from. By the way, another great person you could uh, research is Simon Sinek. I know you, he, he wrote the book, uh, Start With Why, and there's another great TED Talk he does on listening and how a good trick for the communicator, or the leader, is to be the person who always speaks last. Uh, so that way you give all of your subordinates time to at least speak and get their 
maybe their ideas out or at least their feelings out, at least let them be heard. And they may or may not change your mind. Obviously, that'd be a, a big bonus if they were to change your mind or help you see the plan better or maybe a better way to invent a mousetrap. But even if they don't get you to change your mind, at least you know where they're coming from. And so that when you do speak last, when it's your turn to speak, so that you'll know uh, at least where they're coming from and maybe that'll help you uh, pose how you put forward the plan to them because now you know where they're coming from because you took that time to listen and understand them and whether it be their, their gripes or concerns or better ideas. or So I think that's a natural segue into leadership, right? Could you opine on how can one use effective listening to become a better leader? I can actually answer that with, with another quote that I actually brought with me. That's kind of a prepared quote from uh, the author of the Emotional Intelligence book by Travis Bradbury. He says that great communicators stand out. They are honest. They are authentic. They listen. They excel in communication because they actually value it. And it's this first critical step to becoming a great leader. Uh, again, because you have to understand where your folks are coming from. And, and of course, we're all followers as well, right? Whether you're a leader, we, we all follow someone. Even if we were lucky enough to have the Secretary of the Air Force in here or the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, we all report up the chain of command to somebody. So we're all followers as well. And so it's so important to, as a follower, to understand, for, for instance, your leader's intent, your commander's intent, and then even go up the chain one higher than that. And that's, that's always been a great leadership tool or a great followership tool also is not just looking out for your, your boss's problems or your boss's issues, but go one higher than your boss and look out for your boss's boss's priorities and intent and vision and mission and goal. So would you say that the best leaders are typically the best effective listeners? Yes. As in my experience, all the best leaders I can think of right now were phenomenal at listening and getting to, to know their folks. Uh, for instance, one of the best leaders I ever worked for was General Casey. When I was at Pope Air Force Base in 2000, I was a brand new second lieutenant, and he must have had uh, at least four or 500 of us young officers on base as we were a flying base. There's a lot of A-10s, a lot of C-130s. Uh, I was just a, a logistics readiness officer, you know, one of 400 or so. But the first time I met him, he already knew my first name because he's one of those kind of guys that studies the inbound roster. And he saw my last name on my chest, but, you know, he stuck out his hand and said, hey, hi, Eric. And it was like that ever since. Uh, I mean, from that day forward, even if I would bump into him at the commissary or something like that, he, he made it a point to get to know uh, all of his officers and um, even on a first name basis and, and got to know me personally. And uh, anyways, that was, that was a really great example of a, of a leader that, that sticks out with me. And even some of the other leaders I've known that have been phenomenal listeners as a matter of fact, I worked with a, a couple of colonels for the last couple of years over at the Acre Center, who are retired colonels. And it's funny, when we talk about listening with our students, all these colonels I work with, they all have the exact same funny story where it's it's a lesson learned and kind of a, you know, what not to do kind of lesson. And we've all done it, but I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it from, from all these different colonels where the story goes where the colonel is has their email open, but the captain comes in and asks him, hey, can I talk to you, sir or ma'am, about this important issue? And maybe they didn't clue on, on that word important, and they proceeded to listen, but, you know, as the time went by, maybe they started listening with less and less, and their eyes kind of started glancing over to the emails that were popping in and all these other distractors happening. 
And then come towards the end of the captain's discussion, like you could finally hear it in their voice, like that they're distraught and they really need some help from the colonel. Like, and, and so now what should I do about this situation, sir? And the colonel realizes that, oh, I haven't been listening for the last minute or two because I've been looking at this, you know, important email or something that just came in. So they had to pull a big time out and, and eat some crow and remind themselves or and actually explain to the captain that they weren't listening 100%. So they, you know, got disgusted at themselves and turned off the computer and then physically turned their body around and made themselves ready and prepared to actually, uh, you know, listen to this, the captain's concerns. So I've actually associated listening sometimes with the 80-20 principle. Maybe you've heard about the 80-20 principle, which is from an Italian economist going back, I think, into the 19th century that said that 20% of the individuals in Italy at the time owned 80% of the wealth. And then that principle has kind of been applied to so many things in life. It's kind of permeated throughout so many other areas. When I think of effective listening, I sometimes think of the 80-20 principle in the sense that maybe you should be spending approximately 80% of your time listening and 20% speaking. Could you offer maybe a tip or any insights on kind of what percentage of that time you should spend listening or effective listening versus speech or the writ or the written word? Yeah, the Pareto principle, right? The 80-20, it's kind of funny because one of my one of my fellow instructors for the last couple of years has been telling me that his grandfather always used to tell him that you have two ears and two eyes and only one mouth. So so keep that ratio in check. In other words, I think when he was a young boy, he maybe was a little bit too talkative. So he, he was asked to, you know, keep his, his mouth in check. And and then, and maybe us leaders should do that too. Now it's all dependent on the situation, right? Like if you're instructor or giving a briefing or something there, there may be the reason or the time where you have to do a lot of the talking. Uh, but if that's not the situation, then absolutely right. You should be, I think, spending a lot more of your, your waking hours in, in listening and again, observing with, with your eyes as well, looking for those, those nonverbals and what are people really trying to say with the, their feelings and, and their background, you know, when it, which that takes a long time, obviously, but to really get to know your people, you know, could take months or even years to really understand where they're coming from and, and their background and their current family situation, et cetera. So in order to become an effective listener, which I think we're kind of laying the foundation that this is a very important thing to, as a leader and also as a follower, would it be helpful to also understand the mechanical process of listening? Yes, uh, definitely. And and Dr. Klein does a great job in his book. I believe it's basically, I'm looking at it right here. The In chapter four, he explains uh, five different ways you can actually listen to the process. Actually, chapter three and chapter four kind of go hand in hand, the process of listening. Uh, I've got my own personal steps, if you don't mind, because since I don't want to uh, plug the book too much, because I'm, I'm hoping your readers will definitely get the book and, and read it, and, and I don't want to try to steal too much from Dr. Klein. So... Uh, my own personal steps is, is step one, uh, before we get into the mechanics of it, is to just to just ad- admit that you have that problem, which which may be not may not be the case for some of you. Uh, some of you are uh, you know audiophile type people, whereas I'm one of those people who admitted earlier when I watched that Pulp Fiction movie that uh, maybe I wasn't always the best speaker. And you know, I have my wife even told me sometimes, or a listener, I'm sorry, uh, my wife in the past has told me sometimes that I have selective listening. Right. So uh, so admitting is the first step. If I could interject again, sorry. How would you know that you have a problem? That's a great question because, like I said, I was able to admit it when I saw it in that movie. And it basically, for me personally, I just kind of felt ashamed because 
how many other people, I just realized how many other people I may have uh, either put off or not paid 100% attention to and not really understood where they were coming from because in my head I was thinking about what's the next thing to say. So that's why, which may be a good segue onto my, my second little step that I do is uh, I try to find a way to get passionate about, you know, if you can admit that you might have that that issue that like that I have and, and so many of us I think have is because let's actually back up the train to the fact that we never have any classes on this. We have classes all from, from kindergarten all the way up. Uh, my kids are in high school right now and they have both taken English classes and before they graduate here in Alabama, they also have to even take a public speaking class. So they have classes on how to read, how to write, how to speak. Again, in college, they'll have English 101, English 102, and public speaking. But we never really take the time to talk about our ears and how to effectively listen. So would you recommend that maybe our listeners and folks in general just be more attuned to maybe the feedback they're getting from people in respect to their listening? Definitely, yeah. It's, it's all about making those connections with the people, definitely. And that's going back to, to my second step. I was explaining how to get passionate about it. There, here's another book plug, which it may not sound like it has anything at all to do with listening, but it's the book called Finding Flow. And the tagline is The Psychology of Engagement with Everyday Life. And the author's name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, which it, it does not look like that at all. If, if you Google this book, you'll see what I'm talking about. But that is actually how you pronounce it. Uh, the the author of Finding Flow. He's he's written several books. He's a I believe he's a Hungarian psychologist who's written several books on Finding Flow. And basically, there's a, a chart in this book that just shows you of where he's trying to go, what the flow is, and the flow zone or the flow set. You, you've heard maybe actors talk about this, or uh, or musicians or artists where they like an uh, athlete might say they were in the zone. You know, where they were going up for that that layup and time stood still. You know, they felt a little bit like Spider Man because. It was, it was so challenging for them, uh, but they were able to overcome the challenge. You know, the challenge wasn't to worry. And, and he spells it all out in a, in a big chart uh, early on in the book, showing how where we want to stay away from. We want to stay away from getting bored or apathetic with things, and we want to get in that flow zone. And we do that by, by challenging ourselves is, is one way, and he explains other ways in the book. Also, what I like about the book is it's very anecdotal. He tells lots and lots of stories about how to make your everyday life uh, exciting and find passion in, in no matter how mundane the task is, even if it's something simple as mowing a lawn or something. So how do I apply that to listening, though? Uh, again, going back to how important it is, right, to get to know your folks is try to make it fun and try and make it exciting with, with some of the stuff that this author talks about, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. So to be a great communicator, you need to be a great listener. Absolutely. So I think we were discussing also the mechanics, again, of, of effective listening, where number one, you talked about admitting that you actually have an issue. And if you don't know what that issue is, maybe to take some proactive measures and to actually listen to the feedback you're getting. Number two is once you admit or that you recognize maybe you can get better at this, to get more passionate about it, actually take a stake in it. Number three, you talked about observing yourself during these interpersonal communication situations. Have I been listening effectively thus far? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was perfect. Get, getting me back on track with the, with the mechanics because the, the mechanics I wanted to explain, which I kind of call it my four step, is back when I used to teach at the Air and Space Basic course, which, which doesn't exist anymore, but we used to show the lieutenants uh, basically the Bell Laboratory communication model. Way back from the 1950s, Bell Laboratories showed how communication works through a telephone. And it's just four simple parts of what you have to remember to make communication happen through a telephone. But these four simple parts, 
uh, we, we have to make a conscious effort at, at working at all four of these parts. And the four parts are, so let's just pretend me, I'm the sender, and I've got a message to say. I'm, I'm speaking to you right now. So part two is the message. And then you, as the receiver, you've got some stuff to do. You've got a job to do, right? How are you going to receive that message? And then most importantly, the fourth part is the feedback, the fact that it's a loop, whether you're, you're kind of sitting there nodding your head and, and smiling and, and receiving and, and giving me that, that feedback, right? So yeah, there's all kinds of ways you can do that feedback, but sometimes I think that's one of the forgotten steps. Uh, in, in communication, sometimes, you know, especially if, if you think uh, authoritarian, more authoritarian type leaders where you'd see, like in the, all of your listeners have probably gone through some kind of commissioning source, right? Uh, or a basic training, you know, so go back to your drill instructor where it's, it's their way or the highway and, and you're going to listen for the first couple of weeks, especially during those boot camps. Uh, so we, I know we all know how to listen and we're all excellent critical listeners, but, you know, once we graduate out of the, either the commissioning source or the boot camp, uh, you know, sometimes we fall back into our traps of maybe not making a conscious effort and not giving that feedback. So that's, I think, one of the important part of just, it's not just a sender and receiver, but it's also the message and the feedback. So in other words, communication is a model. We must never forget that it's a cyclical model. It's, it's, Never just one way. I mean, sometimes it could be, right? If you're or, uh, that authoritarian example uh, where I said, like, you know, do it because I said so, and that's the end of the discussion. But, you know, what most leaders, if we really want to, you know, step back from the authoritarian style, which, you know, is, is only used for very small points in our lives when we get to where we, we might need to use that authoritarian style. But for the most part, you know, most of us like to be more the more democratic and, and maybe even possibly laissez-faire styles. But to, to make sure that it is a loop, to make sure that that communication model is, is constantly spinning, it's so important to, to not forget the, the feedback. So kind of taking that Bell Laboratory model and applying it to the 21st century, right? We live in a world today where not everything is face-to-face. For example, this podcast, people are listening to wherever they are. Maybe they're driving in their car. Maybe they're cutting the grass right now. People are doing webcasts. People are texting. They're tweeting. They're doing all kinds of other forms of communication, how do we apply this model to those kind of different permutations of communication? Excellent question. One of the ways I can think of it is putting maybe some of the onus back on the communicator, the person who's actually sending the message. Uh, so we, I already talked about the feedback a little bit about how important it is as a, as a listener to make sure you, that the feedback, well, the, the speaker and the listener, that you know the feedback is a loop. But going back to the sender who's, who's actually sending the message, regardless of which means you're using right nowadays, realize that that message, there could be lots of things detracting from that message, right? It could be physical noise. Uh, for instance, if you're out on the flight line and, you know, the B-1 bomber is, is warming up behind you, those kind of more obvious type message detractors. But also think about the message and how it's being sent and, and, and how it's even being received as far as what kind of preconceived notions maybe that person has in their head, maybe stereotypes they have, maybe implicit biases that person has with the, the message or, or the sender, uh, especially, uh, or just the thoughts in general that are in their own head, what kind of things they could be thinking of. So there's all kinds of, I think, things that could be detracting from the message, whether it's, again, or a good example of biases and maybe who is the message coming from, you know, especially if it's from someone that we don't like, uh, you know, on one political side of the spectrum or the other side of the spectrum. Or today, I think sometimes we're, we're too quick to, to turn people off or, or tune them out just because they say they're far lefty or far righty, or because they bring up a taboo topic, whether it's religion or, you know, whatever that the case is. That's something obviously I don't like to see, right, with that divide happening. So I think one of the ways we can fix that divide is 
what we're talking about today, you know, listening, understanding where people are, are coming from, which reminds me of one of the, my all-time favorite quotes from Stephen Covey, a leadership guru, how important it is. It's actually his, his fifth uh, step in his book, uh, Seven Habits for a Highly Effective People, as a number one bestseller. And his, his fifth habit is to seek first to understand, then to be understood. So how important it is to, yeah, again, see where people are, are coming from, from before you try to be understood yourself. Fascinating insights there, Major McGreevy. Could you perhaps provide some of the biggest challenges or pitfalls to effective listening? Well, to go back to that uh, that Teddy Roosevelt quote of people don't, they may not care about how much you know until they know how much you care. I think that's what it all boils down to as far as the, the number one pitfall is because that's that's basically what it looks like in the perception of the, the listener or the, the other person you're communicating with if you don't make this conscious effort to thoroughly understand where people are coming from. And again, remember, understand where people are coming from doesn't mean that you necessarily have to change your ways or... Uh, you know, follow their plan, but at least you're you're taking the time to to hear them and and care about them at least enough to give them the time to to be heard. So I think that's where a lot of the, the pitfalls happen is uh, maybe a leader has their own vision and their own plan in their head and they don't include their folks. And then they just go tell their folks, this is the new marching orders, you know, because I said so. Uh, that's the way it is because this is, you know, the great epiphany I just had in my office five minutes ago or yesterday. Uh, again, without in- including your folks. And we've all heard the old analogy of two heads are better than one. Well, you know, if, you, if you're leading a, a shop of, of 10 people or 20 people or 100 folks, you know, why not tap into that, that all-important asset that we have, uh, which is not that $500 million jet out on the flight line. It's, it's the people that work for you. They, you know, that's your most important asset. So that's why I think it's so important to be listening to them and understanding them. If you can employ these kind of skills, they are going to, what makes your, your, team stronger and not just you. Does this model of effective listening that we've been discussing essentially apply the same no matter what job or duty title you have? Or do we change our effective listening approach if we're in a different position? Definitely. It is It is very situational dependent, which again, going back to Dr. Klein's book, how he goes on to explain about five different ways of listening. And I'll just a quick laundry list them here. Uh, informative listening, relationship listening, appreciative listening, critical listening, and discriminative listening. So, you know, really does depend on the job and the situation and maybe how many people you have to communicate to or how many people you have to listen to or you name it. Based on your years of experience, not only in teaching this, but in your experience as an officer in the military, do you think that effective listeners are born with this innate ability or is this something they can actually learn or perhaps it's a combination of both? That is an excellent question. And I think probably it's a combination of both, but I think we're, we're all on the different spectrums here. Whereas I think for some folks, it comes a lot more natural with them. Uh, just like some other attributes like charm and charisma and all these kind of things. Some people are just born with it. Maybe, maybe it's Maybelline, maybe, or how did, I forget how that commercial went. But definitely, I think some of it is, you are born with it, but a lot of it also depends on how much of a conscious effort you make at getting better at it. If you're admitting that maybe you're not the best listener, you can definitely uh, work to improve it. And it's, it's not going to happen overnight. Like I said, it is going to take a conscious effort uh, to just try and start doing it everywhere in your life, not just, uh, not just on the job, but try and do it you know, with your spouse, with your, with your kids, with your siblings, with your 
relatives, with your friends, whatever groups you're in, try and make a, a conscious effort and just work towards this. Read some of these resources we're talking about and, and actually make a conscious effort because that's, I think what really matters the most is application level. You know, we can, we can talk about this stuff and we can listen to these kind of things and, and you can read books and get smarter on the topic. But if you're not actually applying these concepts that we're, that we're talking about and Dr. Klein's talking about and Dr. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is talking about, you could definitely stagnate and, and not get better. Let's say we come to the realization that we can improve in our listening ability. Could you offer maybe some tips or maybe just some steps on what we can do today to start improving as an effective listener and how to gauge that progress? Great question. Actually, I have some here in front of me with top 10 communication tips. And I can just go through a couple of these quickly because some of them may be talking more from the side of the communicator. But as far as the listener is concerned, like, for instance, the first step or, or tip is to how important it is to know your audience as a speaker. But also that goes back to the listener as, as well. You know, you should be asking yourself as a listener, you know, what, what exactly is important for me to know from this, uh, whether it's a lecture that I'm about to listen to, uh, you know, at what level is this lecture and, and how, how much does it actually apply to either me and or my career field or my job or my situation. So to, to know your audience, I think that's a, it's a two-way street. Uh, the next one is um, trying to become an expert on body language and, and understand, because that's definitely something both people should be looking at is, is the body language and, and the nonverbals, whether it's the, you know, the head nods. And, and sometimes you have to be careful with those, right? The head nods and, and the looks that you get from people, uh, because some people may be good at that, right? Giving the head nods and, and the, the, the look that they are properly listening until you, you might actually uh, question them and, and, you know, double check that feedback loop to see if it's really working. And I've done that with my kids sometimes, my, my teenage kids, where I've, uh, you know, asked them to uh, either recite something back to me or tell me what that means to them in their own words. And that's where sometimes you'll be able to catch them <laughs> where they, they were giving you the proper body language, but uh, you could tell there was something, maybe something else going on inside their mind that they weren't listening. So that's, again, going back to the feedback loop. Uh, again, that proactive word keeps jumping out of me. That's one of the, the tips on here is to to be proactive, which reminds me of that one more quote I want to share with your audience, which kind of goes to that that application point I was trying to make about how important it is to try to to apply these principles that we're talking about today and in these books. And it's it, this is a little bit of a of a long quote from Teddy Roosevelt, but this is the one quote that I've actually had printed out. Uh, on my desk, I've been carrying this around with me for, for over 20 years now, and it's, it's helped me out every single day. I've looked at this quote every single day, and again, at, at first it may sound like it's not necessarily related to listening, but ho hopefully I can summarize it at the end well, after I read it. So here goes. This is from a 1910 speech from Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, folks, a lot of you have probably heard this before. It's called a man in the arena speech. It was actually a long speech, but he, uh, everyone just likes this one section of it called a man in the arena. Because what Teddy Roosevelt said is, uh, it is not the critic who counts. It is not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly." 
so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Now, again, what does that have to do with listening? Uh, again, it goes back to me admitting that I, I had that problem and I, I wanted to work at that. So how do I work at that? Well, I remember this Teddy Roosevelt quote of actually doing it, you know, getting your hands dirty, getting your face dirty, uh, putting yourself out there, whether it's in more social situations or more public speaking situations or li- or just uh, situations where uh, where critical listening comes into play, you know, signing up for maybe more classes and reminding yourself to, you know, education is a lifelong process. So just getting out there and applying all of these concepts, like I said, even with your uh, trying to become a better listener in in all areas of your life, not, not just on the job. Great quote there. Can't go wrong with the Teddy Roosevelt quote. And I believe that was also one of our favorite quotes of our former commandant, Colonel Brian Watson as well. So you mentioned a lot of resources today, which we will ensure to put into the show notes, including the Finding Flow book and Listening Effectively by uh, Dr. John Klein. And any final thoughts on today's topic of effective listening for our listeners? I'll go back to, again, to my, my, my own little personal steps that I came up with, with that first step of just admitting it, that probably a good chance that you're maybe not the 100% uh, best listener and or observer. So that step of uh, admitting it and then step two, getting passionate about it. And then the next step, just realizing that, you know, communication, there's there's a model to be followed here, you know, that you have a message. And just because it's an important message in your head, uh, how do you do that Vulcan mind meld with the other person that you're trying to get your message to? Uh, and then if you're the other person, if you're the listener, uh, how do you make sure also that you're actually getting that person's message? Uh, maybe they're talking too fast. Maybe they're not helping you out uh, enough. Actually, I just went through that uh, yesterday with someone trying to sh- show me some new technology, you know, and I'm 48 years old uh, and they said it extremely quickly and they're like, you got it? And they started walking out of the room and... <laughs> I almost let him leave the room, but uh, yeah, I had to stop him. Like, actually, no, I don't have it. <laughs> can can you show me that again? So that's another thing I think uh, us listeners can do is be part of that cycle. That that communication is a cycle, and we, we all have our parts to do. The the communicator, the the sender, and the the receiver has a lot to do to make it a conscious effort to make sure that we are communicating properly. Well, Major McGreevy, thank you so much for coming in today and providing this great value on how to become a better, effective listener for our listeners. Uh, That'll be it for today's episode. Excellent. Thank you so much, Major. My three key takeaways from the interview with Major McGreevy include, one, effective leaders are effective listeners. Or worded differently, the best leaders value listening as a critically important skill set and make a conscious effort to improve upon it. To do this requires a humility to know they can always get better, to take actionable steps to improve, and to implement effective listening techniques in their daily lives. Number two, there is a model or formula to effective listening, and that if understood and applied, can greatly enhance your listening skill set and ultimately your leadership ability. As a recap, the six steps advocated by Major McGreevy include one, Admitting you can improve, i.e. humility. Two, get passionate about it or quote-unquote find your flow because it will make you a better leader and likely improve your relationships with family, friends, and colleagues. Three, make a conscious effort to listen during your interpersonal communication with others. Four, 
The Bell Laboratory Communication Model, i.e. the physical or mechanical steps to listening, include 1. The sender, i.e. the speaker. 2. The message that is sent. 3. The receiver, i.e. you as the listener. And 4. The feedback, which is the most important step in the mechanical or physical process, which closes the listening loop. Number five for Major McGreevy includes seek first to understand, then to be understood. And number six, in his last step, includes recognize the difference between hearing, i.e. the physical process, and listening, which is more or less the cognitive process. And my last and third key takeaway includes be proactive in your listening. This seems to almost be a misplay on words. How can you be a proactive listener? But it's actually quite deliberate. It involves a mindfulness of your environment, audience, and yourself. It involves understanding the listening model or formula and all the barriers or constraints to it, such as the physical, mental, and emotional barriers, including probing into your own biases. Have you already tuned the speaker out because of who they are, their message, or simply because the topic doesn't interest you? If you're going to commit to a speaker, whether because you want to or because you have to through your job or duty, then commit. Don't give them your divided attention. First off, we as humans tend to be very poor multitaskers, and studies show this. So you actually aren't benefiting anyone if you divide your attention. Here, the golden rule rings true. Listen to others as you want to be listened to. So take these pointers and act upon them. Become a better listener in your work with your colleagues, supervisor, and subordinates. Become a better listener in your personal life with your significant other, family, and friends. When you start listening, really listening, you may even begin to hear your own inner voice or conscience in a better way. Then you'll know you've begun to make some significant progress, and you'll be on the path to leadership in a new and profound way. With that, Thank you for your effective listening in this episode. If you like this episode, please consider letting us know on iTunes. Close the loop, so to speak, and provide us feedback on how we're doing, how we can improve, and how we've perhaps influenced some of your thoughts. Thank you, and see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast. You can find this episode, transcription, and show notes, along with others, at reporter.dodlive.nil. We welcome your feedback. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. This helps us grow, innovate, and develop an even better JAG board. Until next time, nothing from this show or any others should be construed as legal advice. Please consult an attorney for any legal issue. Nothing from this show is endorsed by the federal government, Air Force, or any of its components. All content and opinions are those of our guests and hope. Thank you.